Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. The movie Field of Shoes tells a story of a military institute during the Civil War. Military Institute being a place where young men were going. It was a military academy. But these young men were 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. Okay? And they were just starting off in their career military. And and the way the story goes is that the Confederate Army had found itself, if I remember right, it was in Virginia, but they found themselves in a situation where the Union Army was gathering. There was a battle coming very shortly. But the Confederate Army did not have its reserves. It only had the front line. People didn't have reserves and and they desperately needed reserves to be able to move and to to bring into the battle. And and they were really trying to figure out what in the world are we gonna do? And one of the officers said to the general in their meeting, says, well, we have the military institute over here, these students. And he was like, no, no way, we can't do that. And his reasoning for not wanting to do that is because he assumed if we bring those guys into battle, they're just going to get slaughtered. They haven't been trained. They aren't even grown men yet. They're still boys. And they talked and discussed and finally reached the conclusion is it's going to be another day or two before our reserves can make it. We have to use them. And, And he says, okay, on one condition, we keep them in reserve and we do not call them forward. We don't do that. Well, sure enough, the day comes, the battle comes, and they have these the young men set in reserve, and they're back behind the, the, the armies as they're fighting. And what happens is the Union Army is, is defeating the Confederate Army at this point, and the Confederate Army begins to retreat. They're pulling back from the battlefield. Somehow, some way, the message doesn't get to these young men. And the battle, the, the, the Union Army, I mean, excuse me, the Confederate Army pulls back behind their position. And they start looking at each other and they're talking to each other. And all of a sudden, two of them look at each other and they just make a decision. And they go over the fence and the, all their comrades jump over the fence and go with them and they counterattack. And the Union Army is so taken back that they, they begin to flee. The Confederate Army turns back around and a great victory is won. And the, the general is watching this story. He can't believe what he's seeing. These young guys, no speci- you know, they really aren't trained yet. They, they're just young men. And all of a sudden, it just seemed right to them, this is what we need to do. And in so doing, they turned the battle, made the day. Well, that's a lot like the story we're gonna look at today of the battle being turned by some just very ordinary people. Now, we know the story of Jesus coming to the earth, right? When we we read the Christmas story, he came down to earth and Satan, the enemy, You know, he knows something is up. He isn't quite sure where, what, and so what's he do? He moves the king to have all of the the children, the young men, the the young boys, two years and older, killed. Do you remember that? Because the battle is his. He's trying to stop what God is doing. And he does it. And then as Jesus later on enters into his ministry, we see the satanic opposition, the demon possession coming up as a big deal in Christ having to interact with that. And then finally Christ goes to the cross. And I can't help but think Satan feeling like He had won, right? Death had conquered. And then Jesus rose from the dead, right? 
boom, the battle is turned again. Uh, Jesus is alive and it changes everything. Of course, we know ultimately that the, the, how this war is ending, right? God is winning. We are winning with him. But in the meantime, there are still battles. And so what happened is that on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches 3,000 saved. A little while later, it says there are 5,000 people saved in Jerusalem. The church is growing and, and it's just really, you know, going well. So do you suppose Satan just stepped back and said, oh, well, I guess I lost. No, what did he do? He began to mount his own counterattack and he, he worked in the lives of those religious leaders there who did not receive Christ and, and who were really not even concerned about God but were concerned about their positions and, and their power and they began then persecuting Christians. And they found a young man named Saul who was just so zealous to persecute these Christians. And we see Stephen being killed. Remember, Stephen, just really just a man who got put in a position to where he had to speak for Christ and tell the story. And when he did, they so hated what they were hearing that they put him to death. And it says that Saul cooperated with them in that. In fact, he helped them to do it. Did the organizational stuff while they did the dirty work. And then it tells us that, that Saul was, from then on, he was actively going after Christians. You know, uh, in the Middle East, ISIS, Right? That how that is, if you are a Christian in the Middle East right now, where if there's an area where ISIS is operating, is your life at risk? Yeah, you're, you're, certainly your property is, and you may be, and, and, uh, because they'll hunt you down. Well, this is what Saul was doing. He was hunting down Christians, throwing them into jail, having some of them killed. Okay, it looks like the enemy, the battle is turning again in that direction. So much so that it says that people, the, the, the believers who were in Jerusalem just took off and they, they spread out. A lot of them went home to where they had come from to be there. And then it says, as they went, they talked about Jesus. In other words, wherever these guys went, even though it, things look bleak for Christianity, man, and they're having to run for their lives, when they run and they go places, they go into a new town and they find the synagogue and talk to the Jewish people there. Because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, wasn't he? And so they have an audience who at least would be interested. What do you mean the Messiah has come? And they could talk to them. It says everywhere they went, that's what they were doing. They were Jewish Christians. They were sharing with Jewish people the gospel of Jesus. And then, so even though this is somewhat of a negative, God is turning it into a positive. But what we want to see today is that uh, a couple of, uh, some men, just like these young men in the Civil War battle, looked at each other and determined, we just need to go do this. So some men decided the same thing and it turned the battle huge for Christianity. So let's go to Acts chapter 11. We're gonna be on page 1268 in the Bible that's under the chairs there. If you don't have a Bible with you, we really encourage you to follow along with us. It'll be helpful to you. Page 1268, Acts chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse number 19. 
says, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, that's what I was just describing to you, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Okay, let's stop there. So they traveled and as far as Antioch. And Antioch is in what we would consider modern day Syria. Okay? And so, man, things haven't changed that much, have they? the way things go in the Middle East. But anyway, so they make it to Antioch and, and it tells us this, that they were preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. And by the way, the word preaching there, we think of doing what I'm doing here today. And there is a preaching element to what I do here today, but this word doesn't mean the idea of standing up and delivering a sermon. The word that's preaching here is the word from which we get evangelism, evangelizing. In other words, they were talking to people about Jesus. That's what it meant. So everywhere they went, but they were talking to a specific group. And who was the group? Jewish people. Because that made sense, didn't it? Because they expected the Jewish people would be what? Open, right? At least open to considering. At least open to listening. If you want to come and talk about the Messiah. And so that's all they had been talking to. Verse 20. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, Hellenists means the, the Greeks. That's a, a word, a term that's used for Greek people and it meant Gentiles. Okay, so these are non-Jewish people. All of a sudden, out of the blue, these, these Jewish men from Cyprus and Cyrene, Cyprus is the island there in the Mediterranean Sea. Cyrene is down in Libya, it's kind of a nothing place. Cyprus, the island, is, was known as a, a, they did a lot of commercial stuff, but known primarily for their wine and their corn, okay? So a guy from the island of Cyprus, a, a Jewish Christian and a Jewish Christian from Cyrene, they go there and then they all of a sudden tell the Gentiles about the gospel. Doesn't seem like a big deal to us today, does it? But it was a huge deal there because they had never done that. Nobody had done that. Now, we've seen this, other things have been happening in Jerusalem and God was showing that the gospel was going to the Gentiles, but these guys didn't know that. They were just out there talking about Jesus. And so, I don't know how this works, but I can picture, you know, a couple of these guys and, and they, maybe they're talking to Jews in the synagogue, maybe they walk out or whatever and, and there's some Gentile standing there, maybe looking, observing, and, and maybe they look at each other and come on, and they walk over and they start talking to the Gentiles. Very unlikely people to be interested in the Jewish Messiah, you know what I mean? They wouldn't be interested. Why would they care about the Jewish Messiah? And yet something compelled them to say, we, we need to go talk to them. We need to tell them about Jesus. It's ordinary guys talking to some very unlikely people. What happens? Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So God used this. This is this really unlikely situation. God used it. The hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. Gentiles, a bunch of Gentiles getting saved. 
Then verse 22, then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Wow, they're hearing lots of Gentiles getting saved out there. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. All these new Gentile believers. Verse 24, for he, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Maybe some of those were Jewish people who were coming to receive Christ, but the vast majority of this great number were Gentiles being saved. Verse 25, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Wait a minute, haven't we seen Saul in this story somewhere before? Wasn't he the bad guy? Wasn't he ISIS? <laughs> yeah, he was. If, if, you know, we didn't care this part. We go back and look at the story that God had confronted him on the road to Damascus to go persecute Christians and God had stopped him and revealed to him the truth about who Jesus was and Paul was converted. Okay? So here we are, these guys who have had to run from Jerusalem, they spread around the world, they've made it to Antioch, and now they're telling people, Gentiles about Jesus there, and now God in his, however he works things out, brings the very one who forced them to leave Jerusalem, he brings them there, he's now defected to Christianity, and brings him there to preach and teach. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So this is a booming church. And it's different because there has never been a booming Gentile church before. It had always been Jerusalem. It had always been very Jewish. And I would say to you today that you and I are saved today because of the ministry of this church. We're gonna get into Acts chapter 13 next week and see how they sent Saul, whose name eventually becomes Paul. They sent him around the world preaching the gospel. And that's what ultimately brought the gospel to you and me and how we are saved. And they first called Christians. And by the way, Christians was probably a derogatory term. You know, nowadays we say it's a, you know, a good term. But I think it started off derogatory. It says Christians. Peter talks about later, if you suffer as a Christian. But there was something about this church. God's was so working so powerfully there that they began to identify them inseparably from Christ. See, Christians. And what brought this about? Was this a, a great, huge mission strategized and planned over by the apostles in Jerusalem? Let's evangelize the world, and here's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna send these people here and support it this way. Was that how this happened? No, it was because a couple of guys, one, they decided to talk to some people who were very unlikely to receive the message. So here's the truth that I want you to really let sink in for you today. When ordinary Christians reach out to unlikely people, it is very likely that God will do extraordinary things. Ordinary Christians. Who are ordinary Christians? Any of you here today, ordinary Christians? 
I could consider myself an ordinary Christian. Every now and then I got to stand up and talk in front of everybody about it. But ordinary Christians, in other words, these weren't apostles, they weren't prophets, they weren't seminary trained. No, you know what the one guy was known for was that he came from the place with the good wine and corn. Ordinary Christians, very much like you and me. And they made a decision that it just seemed right to talk to some people who probably wouldn't be interested. Do you know anybody in your life that you think would probably not be interested in the gospel? Can you think of anybody like that that you know? Probably not gonna be interested. In fact, they might be adamantly not interested. That's the person we're talking about here. That's the person that these ordinary Christians chose to reach out to. And when they did, so the hand of God was upon them. And many got saved. I mean, what if they had made a decision not to do that? What if they had looked and saw these guys and said, uh, they're Gentiles, they're not gonna. They won't be interested, I know they won't. And they never went. What we've read about and what's happened, it wouldn't, wouldn't have happened this way. And I hope God is speaking to your heart about something here. There are people in your life that you would think probably not interested. And maybe you need to talk to them. Maybe you need to engage in a relationship with them. Live openly Christian before them. You know, Life Source Church could go viral. You know what I mean by viral, right? It's online, something goes viral, all of a sudden it goes from a few views to what? It just, boom, explodes. Well, this church could be like that with the gospel. It could. You know, every person who we reach out to who then trusts Christ has a lot of relationships that some of them will be reached. And they have even more relationships and if we do, like last week when we, we watched the video, for those of you here, you remember? And that dry desert, and then the water began to come out into the desert, just ran out into there, bringing the living water. And we could be that, we could do that. And it could explode. I mean, we have here Antioch. It's just some ordinary people talking to some unlikely people. And it does what? It explodes. And it changes the history of the world, in a sense. That could happen here. I mean, why not us? Well, it's probably because of certain choices we have to make. And now, by the way, this isn't like, oh, our goal is to go viral, to be a viral church. That's not it about, that's God's business, how he reaches people, right? But what I'm trying to tell you is that it could. God could do that. We could be Antioch, just like that. But here's what we tend to think. When you think about that person or people, and, and, and sometimes it's not even someone you've met, it's someone you may have never met before, and you think about this person, you think, uh, I don't think they'd be interested. Oftentimes, you know, the challenge would come, well, we need to be a witness to them, and you think, well, I, I wouldn't know what to say. 
I, I wouldn't know how to explain. Um, I haven't really studied that. I haven't learned how to do this. I, I don't have the gift of gab. I'm kind of a shy person. I, we come of all sorts of reasons, right? And, and we tend to think that it's about our abilities, right? That's why I can't be a faithful, effective witness because I, I don't have the ability. Well, I want you to know something. God is not limited by our abilities. So our limities don't limit God. Our unwillingness limits him. Because if you and I are willing to step out, God can work. I mean, didn't we see this here? Right in our passage, what did these guys do? They made a decision to go talk to some people who probably weren't gonna be interested. And when they did, they put themselves in a position to have to trust God. I mean, were these guys trained to speak to Gentiles about the gospel? No. But see, God is the one who works. But we need to be willing to let him work in us and through us. And when we put ourselves in a position where we say, this is beyond my ability, but I'm gonna open my life up to this person and, and try to connect in such a way that maybe at some point I get to talk about Jesus. And, and when we make that decision, put ourselves out there, in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that God looks all over the earth. He looks for people whose hearts are surrendered to him so that he can show himself real in their lives, show himself strong in their lives. And, and that's what happened here. They put themselves out on the line. And God showed himself strong. And God will do the same in your life and in my life if we are willing to step out. So see, whether we really feel like we have the ability or not is not the point. It's are we willing to take what we do have and what we do know and then reach out. Ordinary Christians reaching out to unlikely people makes it very likely that God will do extraordinary things. And that can be us. You know, the other reason we have good reason to think that God would work in this way is, is because who wants people to be saved more, God or us? God does. How do we know that? He sent his son. He paid the supreme price that could have ever been paid he wants people to be saved. He desires. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so it really comes down to us then, doesn't it? Not our abilities, but our willingness to look and say, you know, it's time to go over the fence. Let's go over the fence here and go out into the world around us and do something about it. Let's go to verses 25 and 26 again. Let's look at them again. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And like I said, this becomes a, a missionary church that impact the whole world. Um, how did this happen? Is, is this church, is this rest of this story, does it, is it because of Barnabas? Is the rest of this story because of Saul? Well, they had a role in it. But I tell you who I think it was. I think this goes back to those men from Cyprus and Cyrene who decided to share their faith with the Gentiles. 
And by the way, what were their names? Look in the text. What were their names? Nope. Those two guys are in there, but who were the two guys who, or the couple guys or whoever they were decided to talk to the Gentiles? Their names aren't there, are they? They're unnamed. Ordinary people. Just some guys. Can we be those people? Are we just ordinary people that make a decision to reach out and to trust? We need to do that because I want you to understand this. Their decision to talk to one person changed everything. And if sharing Jesus with one person might change the whole world. You don't know. You don't know who that person is and who they know and what's going to happen because you share your faith with them. Might not be them. Might be their grandson. But it could change the whole world. But it won't happen if you and I stay unwilling. Won't happen. Now, I know the idea of going out and trying to share your faith. And, and what does that mean? Who do I talk to? And how do I do it? That can be pretty overwhelming. But let me say, what we're talking about here today, that you can do this. You can do this. Um, and you can't do it on your own. But you can do this. Let's talk about this for a minute. How can you do this? Well, Start becoming consciously aware and on purpose aware of the people in your life. You know, the people who are in your neighborhood. Maybe you actually have family members who would fit this bill. People in your neighborhood who you think, ah, they probably aren't interested. People that you work with. You know, our tendency is to say, oh, this person's a really nice person and we get along real well. Maybe they, I think they might be interested. But no, don't do that. Look at the ones that this person is not interested in, and be openly Christian with them too. Share your life with them, share your faith. But start, start becoming, before you even worry about talking, start becoming consciously, purposely aware of the people in your life, whether it's family members, whether it's people in your neighborhood, whether it's people you work with, or whether it's the people that you see on some sort of a regular basis as you go about life. And what I want you to do is I want you to start looking at them differently. I want you to start looking at them as being out in that spiritually dry place without Christ and that here you are, the water that's coming out. I want you to, to think of them that way, that they need Jesus. Be observant of them, you know. Is there something that they're sad about or something that they're happy about? Is there a relationship? Do they have kids? Or grand and, and start thinking now and talking to God, God, how could we connect with them in their lives in a way that they would come to know you? So start paying attention and start talking to God about them. God, these people need to be saved. How can that happen? This person, I think, probably has no use for you, God. How can we reach that person for you? So start looking at them and then uh, begin praying specifically. And what, what can we do to help them get connected with you, Lord? And then if you're going to become bold like this, you have to really become diligent in pursuing your own relationship with the Lord. Very, very important. Pursuing your own connection with him more diligently, more purposely, more consistently. Spend time with Jesus. Now here's why I say this. You know, um, Peter and Paul, Paul and John, they, you know, were just ordinary people too before they became the apostles, right? 
I remember when I didn't used to be an apostle. I was a fisherman. <laughs> All right, they were ordinary guys in that sense. But man, something changed in their life, didn't it? So much so before they stand up in front of everybody and proclaim Christ and they stand in front of, stand boldly in front of the religious leaders who wanted to stop them and they told them the truth. What's going on here? Well, in the book of Acts, we find this verse. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were just ordinary guys, they marveled and they realized something, that they had been with Jesus. Do you lack boldness today? You probably need to spend a little more purposeful time with Jesus. Because then you'll become bold. And do we need boldness? Okay, so we're talking about being bold here and this whole sermon series is gonna be on bold. When I say boldness, I don't mean if you become bold, you don't become irritating. A bold person is an irritating person. No, we don't mean that. Annoying, no. Aggressive, no. When the Bible uses this word bold and boldness, it's a combination, it's a prefix and a word, and the prefix means all. And, and the other part means the words that need to be said. So boldness is what? Saying all the words that need to be said. Saying what needs to be said. That's boldness. It's not about an attitude, but it's about saying what needs to be said. How do you spend time with Jesus in a way that makes you bold? Well, get in God's word and take in God's word. Listen to it online or read it or whatever, but take in God's word because Jesus is here. He's here and, and you get to know him here. You spend time with God's people because God lives inside his people, doesn't he? Christ lives in his people and that's why things like a life group are so important to you. Like I said, if you can't do it in a life group, you need to be doing it somewhere as a Christian. Life groups are a real great way to do it. You need to be in a group like that and interacting with them and sharing your life and sharing their lives because Jesus is there and you're spending time with him and that's going to help you to be bold. How about serving people who have needs? Someone comes along, has a great need. What did Jesus say? He says, when you do something, even for the least of these, you've done it to who? To me, he says. And so you're connecting with Jesus when you're reaching out and serving. And so anything the Lord puts in your heart, but the idea is spend purposeful time with Jesus. Be serious about it. And if you will be serious about it, then you will become bolder. And you need boldness. You can do this. You really can Starts with getting serious about your own relationship with the Lord, fill your life up with Jesus, all these things we've been talking about. And today what you need to do is settle the issue of willingness. You need to settle that issue. You need to come before God and say, God, I'm willing. Anybody, you know, we show our age, but does anybody here remember Happy Days and Fonzie? And he couldn't say something, what couldn't he say? I was wrong. He'd say, I was, and you may feel that way today. Say, Lord, I'm, you need to say, God, I am scared to death, but I'm willing. I'm nervous, but I'm willing. I don't think I know what to say, but I'm willing. 
I'm willing, help my lack of willingness. You got to settle that issue. We need to be willing to do this. And then be ready to talk. Be ready to be open about your life as a Christian with the most unlikely people. Be open. And you may not get to talk. God may not give you that opportunity. But be ready. Be willing. Be ready. And then finally, let me say two more words to you this week. Don't let this be something oh, I need to do sometime. No, this week, today, tomorrow, the next day, this week. Think about this. Based on what we've seen in the word, if you discern, okay, God, I am willing, and then this week you start going through consciously aware and you begin praying about these people you're talking to and say, God, how, how could we connect, help them get connected with Jesus here? What to, and Boom, God may also put you as an ordinary Christian in front of an unwilling, excuse me, an unlikely person and you speak. You're going to have a story to tell. And it might be, he punched me in the nose. Probably not, but let me tell you this. If you get punched in the nose this week because you lovingly cared, spoke to somebody about Jesus, you'll be excited about it. Blessed are you, Jesus says, because that's the way they persecuted the prophets who came forward. But the point is, it's going to be different kind of stories. I don't know if it'll be able to get saved or not, but I want you to do this week for you. I want you to do that. I want you to do it because it's right between you and God. I want you to do this for the sake of the ministry and the life of this church but I want you to do it for you too. And, and I want to hear that story. I want to hear from you. I want you to send me an email or a text message or message me on Facebook. And I want you to say, here's what, how I did it. Or, you know, I didn't get the opportunity, but I saw it. Tell us, just tell me your stories and I will share your stories here. We need to hear your stories. And if you and I will do that this week, what's going to happen? I know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is this. When ordinary Christians reach out to unlikely people, it's very likely that God will do extraordinary things. You do it with me? You do it? I close with this. There are two older gentlemen at McDonald's that I met two years ago now, three years ago now. One was really rough looking. He did work for the organized crime people. I mean, I found all this out over the years. But I didn't want to talk to them. I was at McDonald's doing my own thing, working on my sermons, whatever. You know, because they give you free coffee refills. I'm sitting there, and these guys are a couple booths over, and they're two brothers. One's in 80, and the other's in his 70s, and they argue back and forth about stuff, and something about the Red Sox, and I think one of them looked at me and kind of said, you know, looked at me and said something like, what do you think, you know? And I, I wanted to go, eh, I just don't want to go there. But I was at a good place at that time. Instead, I talked. I talked, and, and I don't remember when, but over the space of the next couple years of interacting with these guys who very unlikely that they would be interested, the, the, the roughest looking one, toughest looking one, the guy described to you, 
Uh, he hadn't set foot in church for over 40 years. And the other man is very religious, Greek Orthodox. Neither one likely to be interested. But the roughest, toughest one has been here a few times and one day he raised his hand and said, I prayed with you to trust Christ. And we talked at length before, but he did. And the other one, when I talked to him, he's visited a few times too, but when I talked to him, I, I said, so, you know, what are you trusting? What, where are you at with this? Because he talked about the Greek church. And he says, well, I believe what you believe. He settled it. Man, there's a lot of people I haven't talked to like that. I haven't always been bold. But let's be bold, Okay. God will use us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and that you speak to us, you teach us, you challenge us. I pray that we'd open our hearts to you in it, that, Lord, we would, you'd plant in our hearts deep a desire to be bold, to, to be willing to, to share what needs to be shared and put in our hearts, Lord, to be burdened for people who seem unlikely to ever be interested. Give us opportunities to share. I pray that we would settle in our hearts today too, Father that we need to be willing. We need to be willing. Please do a work. Give us stories to tell that will honor and glorify you and that will encourage us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. Uh, I do wanna hear your stories, please. Good, bad, exciting, not so exciting, I wanna hear your stories. And then also, don't forget to pick up the prayer guide so you can actually do something about what's going on in our nation. Thank you, you are dismissed.